Susan's still in her normal place, so that's that 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 won't disorient me too much. Ah, John's an A side guy. You know, I don't know that we should call it A side and B side. We should have more spiritual names for it, like you know, the Law and the Prophets, or the. Oh. Wherever John sits is the A side by definition. <laughs> BJ's like, what are we talking about? Oh, there's context. You still like the edges, though. Yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah, but that's cold by the windows, isn't it? What wind? There's no. Oh, from the vents. There's no vent right here. You could, Jen Hall, you could sit right here. All right, well, we have spent our first four weeks in this discipling course seminar talking about setting up a sense of what, uh, what discipling is. What does it mean to build intentional relationships? Uh, with other brothers and sisters with the desire to do them good. Then to take that into an evangelistic context, how to build intentional relationships with unbelievers with the idea of doing them eternal spiritual good. We have spent four weeks kind of setting the table, setting the framework, and now we're actually going to begin to talk about what it looks like to actually encourage. What does it look like? What is the content which you want to be communicating as you seek to build mutually edifying relationships. And remember, we're not talking about a program. We're not talking about you are the discipler of somebody. We're talking about, you know, now that may be a context in which that's the case, but we're looking for life on life, side by side. We're looking for you to be doing good to your brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters to doing good to you. And we established the youngest baby Christian can be involved in this relationship, in these kind of relationships. Uh, and what did we say? What, what other things we said? In general, it's a good idea to be looking for several different types of people to be involved in your lives. What are some of those types of people? Someone who's farther along with you in the faith, who can help you, who can be. But does that mean you're not going to be helpful to them? Of course not. What other kind of kinds of people are? Are good to have in your life. Someone younger than you in the faith, for whom you are the person that's farther ahead. Yep, so that you can be humbly uh, con- conduiting uh, uh, the content of the gospel to them. Not that they won't be helpful to you. And then, what other kind of people did we talk about? Peers, Peers kind of side, you know, the true side by side people who are kind of at the same stage as you are, that you can be working together on even similar life stage issues. Okay, well, now we're going to get more into the how-to part, part portion of the class by starting where the root and the foundation of our ability to disciple. And of course, what does disciple mean? What's, give me a working definition of disciple. What's a disciple? Familiar, familial pastoring of someone. Okay, familial pastoring, but what is, what, excellent, excellent, that's how it kind of practically works out. What's a definition, of, what does it just mean to be a disciple of someone? A follower, a follower. 
a follower or a student, right? So as we seek discipling, we're seeking to be the one who follows ultimately Jesus, but then other, others who are closely following him. All right. So, and the content of everything is the word of God, the Bible. Hopefully we understand that at the root of our discipling is not our good advice, not simply listening as a passive counselor, right? A lot of counseling nowadays is, you know, tell me about your problems. What do you think about those problems? Oh, and asking questions, getting more and more of them out on the table, but not actually intending to ever communicate content not ever intending to give helpful advice. But it's not just good advice, and it's simply not simply listening. Our work of discipleship has a goal and a purpose in mind. We want to see our friend grow actively, progressively, consistently, until that person is more conformed to the image of Christ Jesus, which is what we hope for ourselves as well. And the means of that growth and the measure of that growth comes only from the Word of God, the Bible. All right, so let's look first at the centrality and discipline of the Word. If you have, uh, if you have a, your handout, you're, it's going to be, I think, pretty helpful to you today. It's going to be especially fun because you get to turn it over. And that's not Cheryl's fault, that's mine. I printed without looking. And uh, so you get an inside-out uh, folder day. Let's look at the centrality of the discipline of God's Word Why is the word central, might be obvious, but let's actually think about it. The word's work, number one, is all for God's glory. Consequently, the focus of all our work in encouragement, in prayer, in teaching, in counseling, must be on the Bible if we are going to make disciples of Christ. Because all we know for certain, all we know for certain about Jesus Christ is contained in his word. In his word. Now, we talked about what's the purpose. Why do we disciple? We disciple, we are engaged in discipling relationships for others' good, for our own joy, but ultimately for what reason? Uh, Louder? Can't hear? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. And the word brings glory to God. The word's work is to glorify God. That's what the Bible is all intending. It's pushing us and pushing our friends toward the glorifying of God, which is what our purpose is. Our purpose in life is not something we get to define. Our purpose in life is we are created for the glory of God and must, with our lives, reflect and create that glory. All right. Again, as we've said, discipling is not about your good counseling. That's why the word has to be central. Our goal in discipling is not to be a source of counsel from our own resources for our friends, but to counsel the word to our friends. Right? This is what distinguishes biblical counseling from advice. Right? We're seeking to use the word of God. And again, we'll go back to that, that uh, illustration that the, the young men gave us, uh, which is how did, how did the treasure of the gospel get from one person to another? was through the medium of, of, an, of, a, of a lowly, insignificant vessel through whom immense treasure is going through. We're to be the pipe that pours biblical contact, content and encouragement and application into the lives of our friends. This is good news. Why? 
You do not need to feel as if you are competent to hang out a shingle and be a professional counselor to direct your friend to God's counsel in various situations. Who remembers Lucy from Peanuts? What did she hang out? She set up her little stall. What did it say? Psychiatric help or something like that. Five cents, right? She's doling out her vast wisdom as a seven-year-old, right? And, and of course, she has no business doing that. Some of you have no business in just dispensing good advice to people. But guess what? You have. You have something that will give you exactly what that person may need. Exactly what that person needs is contained in here. Now, you might need some help to figure out how to find that. But if you open God's word, you know you're going to be going in, in the, along the right track as you seek to encourage someone else. All right. God's word finally creates, sustains, and secures his people. God's word creates, sustains, and secures his people. We're spending our time at the outset of this section focused on God's word because from his word itself we see that God's word is instrumental to the creation, the sustenance, and the security of his people. We won't look at all these passages, but of course we remember right from the beginning, in the beginning God created by means of his word, by means of his word, who is ultimately the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the personal word of God, but also In the same way, his written word creates his church. Think about the Valley of Dry Bones. If you're familiar with that parable in the prophecy of Ezekiel, or the vision, how, do you remember what it was that allowed the dry bones to first assemble and be clothed in flesh and then finally to come to life? What was the means and the mechanism by which that happened? Yeah. Prophesy to the bones, son of man. Prophesy to the bones that they may live. Right? God's word is spoken to death, into death. And what comes out is life. And the same thing occurs with people. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. That's kind of, we're used to to 16, but let's look at it in context. It's, uh, let me just, uh, I don't have 14 memorized, so I'm going to look at it. But... Uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith In Jesus Christ. They point you to faith in Jesus Christ, which saves you. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then, so it creates his people, it sustains his people, it secures his people. John 17, 17, uh, uh, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, sanctify them, sanctify my disciples and those who will believe on them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That secures us. 
All right, now we have a relatively Bible-minded church, praise God. The sermons that BJ and I and the others preach on Sunday are usually straight exposition of the Bible. Skylar's this morning will be straight exposition of a biblical text. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have home groups which always have a Bible study component. We hold, you hold, to the inerrancy and the inspiration of God's Word, and you love that truth. So, but we're still going to spend some time thinking about why it's so important to engage with the Bible. Because no matter how well we think we're engaging with God's Word, it's for it's good for us to be reminded of how critical and how important the scripture is, not for ourselves, but also for those that we're trying to walk with. You know, even unfortunately in some churches that would call themselves evangelical, there's a great deal of, of lip service given to the reality, to, to the importance of God's word, but it doesn't end up actually getting preached or it doesn't end up getting taught in significant ways. And among God's people, even in, even in churches that do value the word, there's still, I'm sure, a lot of times when our intake of God's word is woefully inadequate. You remember that jibe that Bart Ehrman gave, gives to his freshmen. How many of you believe that the Bible is God's word? There, lots of people raise their hand. How many of you have read it front to back? Very few raise their hand. You mean God wrote a book and you haven't read it? Right? We can feel the sting of that some. Even if you have read it all the way through. And you're not reading it? as much as would be helpful to you if you really believed that it was truly the word of God. We must be people of the word. Now, I grew up in a family that was significantly influenced by the Navigators. And I have here on the front of your cover what's the Navigator word hand. It's just an illustration that talks about some of the ways that we engage with God's word. And I find it very helpful. And it just uses an ordinary hand to talk about the different ways that we engage with God's word. Starting with the pinky, hearing the word of God, reading the word of God, studying the word of God, memorizing the word of God, meditating on the word of God, and then applying the word of God. By the way, do you know why meditation is the thumb? Any idea why meditate? Anyone know this? Tim? It allows you to make use of all the others. So our reading, and obviously this is not scripture, right? This is just you know, a helpful illustration. Meditation makes, allows us to make use of our hearing, make use of our reading, our studying, and our memorizing, all of which is for the goal of application. All right, we're going to look at some of these things. Number one, so turn your thing upside down, turn it inside out. Hearing the word of God. Hearing the word of God. I think that, and this is, this is something I think the nabs weren't as strong on, is the, is the centrality and the importance of hearing the word of God. God chose for the gospel to be a proclamation, to be a proclaimed message, to be an announcement, a verbal announcement. Well, guess what? Proclamations require proclaimers. Proclamations require Preachers, announcers, heralds, and God has gifted his church with preachers and teachers. Ephesians 4 says that he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers for the building up of the body of Christ, for the equipping of them for every good work. 
Now, we don't have apostles anymore. We don't have prophets. But the work of evangelists in, in the local church, pastors and teachers, those are God's gift to the church in order that she might be built up. And so the preaching and teaching of ministry of a local church is primary. That is the most significant thing that happens. When you come in on Sunday morning, there's many, many things that are happening, but you are coming to hear the word of God, God speaking to you through the, the, the weak and feeble mouth of a human preacher. The preacher is not the significant thing. The word of God, through the medium of God's gift to you, which is the preacher. So, what does that mean? It means prioritize and help your friend prioritize hearing the word faithfully preached and taught. If there is only one thing one way you engage with the Word, and I hope you engage with the Word in many ways, but the primary way would be to hear it and hear it preached faithfully. That's why the ministry of the local church is so critical. It is not sufficient for you to go out and be a Christian out there on your own with your Bible and think that that is engaging rightly with God's Word. Yes, you can engage, and you ought to engage with God's Word, on your own. But fundamentally, you need to hear it preached. Any questions about that? This is why, brothers and sisters, two times a week church attendance is not, is not what you need. Three times a week church attendance is not what you need. Because You do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You need to hear the word of God. So, unless some circumstance, and there's people in our body who have those circumstances, which prevent being at church every week to hear the word preached, is the fundamental and primary way that you will grow through your engagement with God's word. Now, Then there's, yes. Did I say two times a week? I am so sorry. I meant two times a month. I meant two times a month. Thank you for clarifying. Well, let's go with two times a week. Well, let's. Cheers. So, but, 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 you know, there are plenty of Christians out there who think, well, I'm, I'm going to come when it's convenient. I'm going to, when church works around the rest of my schedule, I'll go. And that's so contrary to the mindset that we need to have in order for... uh, It's why we encourage you when you go on vacation, find a gospel-preaching church where you're on vacation and go listen to the preached word. Right? Now, ways... Another thing is how, how, how often and how well it is, one of the easiest ways to connect with in a one-on-one encouragement and edifying relationship is to just say, if you have nothing else... You can at least say to your brother or your sister, "Hey, what? Tell me how you how did you do under the word last week? What was the what what? How did you profit from the sermon?" They tell you. You tell them. Maybe you pray. Probably pray. That'd be good. Is that going to be a profitable conversation that benefits them and benefits you? 
If you're the newest baby Christian in this room, can you do that? Yes. Yes. You can get together with somebody else and say, how did you benefit from the sermon? And tell them how you benefited from the sermon. So, there's lots of fun ways to follow up on hearing the word. We'll get to home group in a little bit. Okay, reading the word of God. Reading the word of God. Where did my... Where did it go? There we go. There are downsides to technology. Alright, practically speaking, it can be all too easy for us to find other things to do than to read the Bible. Don't be surprised if that's true of your friend, too. Now... Let's, let's just be realistic here. For the majority of Christians that have existed in the world throughout history, has reading been their primary way of understanding, of, of doing God's word? How do we know? They, they didn't have access to Bibles, and they couldn't read. So that's another reason why we know that proclamation is more significant and primary, because it's a medium that's available to anyone. So, but we do have Bibles. William Tyndale died getting us an English Bible. Uh, we, we have an embarrassment of riches in that we have Bibles all in our houses in multiple translations and, and good translations. We need to be regularly encouraging our friends, re- encouraging our friends and encouraging ourselves to be regularly reading the Bible as a basic discipline. And sometimes people are intimidated by so much reading. Right? The Bible's a big book. But do you know how long it takes to read the Bible out loud? 71 hours. Not all that long, but I did something really cool in college. We, were, we, did, a, we did a read the whole Bible in the local park. Now, we did it 24 hours a day, so obviously there were lots of times when someone... But we actually just did a project where we read through the whole scripture, which was really fun. And by the way, if you, ever have a, if you ever have something you want to do with a couple of believing friends, it can be fun to just take a, one of the bigger books of the scriptures and actually just sit down and read it together, going back and forth, back and forth, with a group of, say, four or five, and read through a whole book. Read through Exodus, read through Jeremiah, read through Ezekiel. That's actually really fun. But, so, but that's not what you're going to do on a regular basis, right? But 71 hours is not all that long when you think of how much... How long it might take you to get through that on Netflix? 71 hours or whatever, right? There, we have Bibles on tape that show us that it doesn't uh, take as long. It may take some time, but it's not an insurmountable task. If it's more that discipline is the issue, which is the case for most of us, you may want to yourself and encourage a friend, your friend, to use a disciplined reading program. I don't need to go into this a ton of detail because uh, BJ has done a great job of making sure that every year we kind of get a reminder of that and we have multiple Bible reading plans available out there. The two that he likes the best, which he's found really helpful, are the McShane Bible reading plan, which takes you through New Testament twice, Old Testament once in the course of a year, and the five-day-a-week plan, which gives you some buffer days, catch some catch-up days. Um, uh, So uh, my wife has really benefited from D.A. Carson's book, which goes through, is kind of a devotional on the McShane plan called For the Love of God, which has the daily, a daily devotional that follows the reading program. You know, you can do it all sorts of ways. But the most important thing, of course, is just actually to begin it. Now, reality check here. Reading the Bible is not like reading a mystery novel or like reading a thriller. It is, there are parts of it which are tough slogs. That's okay. That's a feature, not a bug. Um, you know, it's not, you're not going to get through uh, 
Ezekiel the same way you're going to get through Agatha Christie. Right? That's okay. It just means it needs, it takes, it takes some additional effort to keep going and keep plugging through. And accountability with a friend can be really helpful. Um, I have a suggestion. If you find yourself getting sidetracked in your reading, then what I would do, since most of us have cell phones at this point or, or smartphones, find you know something like Bible Gateway and listen to it audibly. And while you read along with it, that's going to help you from kind of drifting, drifting off. Now, if you're in, or on your commute, you can just listen to it, right? You don't have to be, don't read along in that situation. Just listen to it, and that's, but here's a goal that I would encourage you. If you have never read the Bible all the way through, just set that as a goal. A goal to accomplish in a reasonable period of time in the, future, in the near future. Don't go another five years, please, without having read the Bible front to back. God wrote a book, and you haven't read all of it yet. Get that done. That's a good goal. It's a doable goal. Break it up into chunks, but do it. Other ways... Um, it's a good thing to read the Bible through in a year, but it's not the only good thing. Don't think that you're somehow, you know, a, a less Christian-y Christian, looking at you, JR, if, you, uh, if, you don't read the, if, you're not, if your plan isn't to read through the Bible in a year. That's a, that's a quantity goal. That's a good goal, but it's not the only kind of goal. You may need to spend time reading smaller sections, which, may not, which won't get you through the Bible in a year. That's okay. What's the point? To be in God's word. Right? To be in God's word. In its breadth and in its depth. Uh, do this with kids. This, this can be done with kids. I can remember my dad started me probably when I was... I can't remember it was, would have been probably seven. And we just took my NIV, my little paperback NIV, and we started going through a, a plan. And it was a one-year plan divided into three sections. Uh, First half of the Old Testament reading, second half of the Old Testament reading, New Testament reading. Designed to be done in a year. Do you know how long it took us? We just did one. It took us three years. But that meant by the time I was ten, I had actually made it through all the way my first time. And I consider that a great gift my father gave me. We have transitioned in our house from... uh, Children's Bibles, this year we transitioned to actually reading texts... Of the scriptures. We're just reading the scriptures now. Guess what? We're not starting with, you know, lamentations. We're starting with, we're starting with the narratives. We've done, uh, Luke, Acts. We've done John. We've done, now we're in Genesis. We've done 1st and 2nd Samuel. Right? So we're just, but we're just starting to go through. Even Miriam can pick up on what we're doing. Right? So do it with your kids. Do it with your spouse. Spend time reading with your spouse. If you're married, family devotions do not have to be complicated. And don't make, I, don't make family devotions somehow this inachievable goal that you couldn't possibly get to. Are, can you sit with your family, read some of the Bible, and pray for your family together? Does it have to be every day? No. Well, I, we're back to Kevin's quote. If something's worth doing, it's what? 
worth doing poorly. Dads, if you can't think of how you're going to do it more than once every two weeks, what should you do? Do it every two weeks, right? If, you know, get into God's Word, get your family into God's Word. You're looking for quantity, you're looking to get through, you're looking for quality to sit and soak. So there's, there's multiple things, but getting God's Word in. Ideally, you should encourage, you should encourage a person, a friend, and encourage yourself to find a time during the day and make it regular, right? Make it regular so that it's, a ha- so that it becomes a habit, so that it's done in a time when, um, when it's consistent, because that just helps habit forming. Um, a time. Uh, I don't think there are rules on time. You know, some find it helpful to read earlier in the day, you know, early in the morning. So you can think about what you read during the day rather than falling asleep immediately after reading, like you might if you do it at night. But I just don't think there's any hard and fast rule on that. The important thing is to engage. So for you, the evening is better than the morning. I tend to fall asleep if I read in the morning, you know? So do what is best for you in order to engage. All right, one thing, if you want a a plug, would be this book, One-to-One Bible Reading by David Helm, uh, who BJ and I have studied under uh, in the Simeon Trust Preaching Conference and also wrote the Big Picture Story Bible. He wrote this book, One-to-One Bible Reading, which would give you a pretty handy handy, um, ability to learn how to sit down with someone else and actually easily read the Bible together. In a, so you can come up and, and see this afterwards and, uh, and maybe get, think about getting a copy here. Other, other, other thoughts, from other wisdom from the group about how to work on engaging in reading the Word? Damon, or questions? Uh, for, for the men in the congregation, we had it here during the last book sale, the Daily Strength. It's a devotional for men, <laughs> and it's 365 days, goes through chronologically, uh, through all the books, but what's really nice about that as well is that they have a corresponding podcast. Oh, so it's the exact same devotional. If you don't find time or actually able to sit down and read, uh, it's a really wonderful uh, way to dive into the scripture and apply it to your daily life for us as men. Thank you. I know Mary Margaret significantly benefited from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, which is another wonderful devotional. Yeah, Jamal. Um, just to piggyback what you were saying earlier about, you know, family devotional and stuff like that. I remember when my, after my father became Christian, he had a, uh, somebody in the congregation actually gave him a Arabic Bible. Don't twist the lemonade, it wasn't the Quran, I promise. Uh, (laughs) But, um, anyway, so we... We actually got together like um, on Tuesday nights, and we would um, read with him because he couldn't read English, and we would read the Bible together as a family, and yeah. that helped him. In, in, in we would read our English Bible, you know, and he would read his Arabic Bible to follow along, and that was pretty significant. So, Other other thoughts or suggestions or questions. Yeah. I like this one that our daughter um, suggested to us was the chronological Bible because it it takes the story. It's not like Genesis, Exodus, but it takes it, and you feel like you're reading how it happened, yeah. how it came about. Yeah, because the the Bible is not in chronological order, and so especially the Old Testament is really in chronological order, and there are Bibles that actually are laid out that way. Okay. 
Good. Studying the Word. Studying the Word. We're going to do this a little more briefly, but a great context for studying the Bible is just ready-made for you, and that is our home group system. Our home group system. Uh, What do we do in home group? We review what we heard preached. So we go back to the text that was just preached, and we now open it up together with a chance for everyone to talk. You know what? You know, the, your preachers are greedy. We just like to stand up there and talk without hearing from you. Um, well, we like your nods and uh-huhs and amens and things like that. But, but you know, um, but then in, the, then in the context of home group, we, can, we, we get to kick the football around. Uh, let me just ask you, I, I, put, I just put here um, thoughts for making the most of home group. Thoughts for making the most of home group. What if you were to take the time to answer the questions in the study guide before you get there. Now, if something's worth doing, it's worth what? Doing poorly. What if you can't get to all the study questions before you get to home group? You could do some of them. You could look them over. BJ. Both shamed and encouraged by both uh, Damon and Kelly and Skyler and Jenneray when they have talked about how they've done the study together. And so not only did they get the benefit of each other's insights, they grew relationally together and in love for God together. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, wow, that's awesome. I say I throw myself under the bus because I consistently think great idea and don't do it. But like that would be a phenomenal. Well, Kristen's probably told you she's not interested, right? <laughs> Now, is that, is that easier to do if you're a Thursday group than a Tuesday group? Of course it is. But if you're a Tuesday group, you know, yeah, look, we would do. So what if you answered half the questions? What if you, you know what would bless your home group leader? What if you came to home group with a question from the sermon that you're ready to ask? Or an insight from the sermon or from the text that you were ready to share? Do you know how much your home group leader would like, like bless your bless you in his private his private prayer? What if you were just to reread the passage ahead of time so as to more profitably participate? Right, just reading that text, most of our text could probably be read in less than five minutes. So let's say you can't get to the study. Now I'm setting the bar low, right? By all means, we have these study guides for a reason. Do them ahead of time. But guess what? I, we're, we're not dumb. We understand how this works sometimes. What if you can read the text before you get there again? Five minutes. On your way to home group, you're, you say, hey, honey, you know, I'm going to drive. You read the text. <laughs> Do you think that would be a profitable thing for your home group? Yeah. So, all right. Uh, now, five questions to ask when you're wanting to study a passage with another person. What if you want to get together? I know some of the ladies do this. And, they're, and they go through, they just one-on-one, they do some Bible study. And you, there's all sorts of helps for that. There's good books to do that. There's Bible study guides and things like that. But what if you just have you and your Bible and the other person and their Bible? Five basic questions. What, what, if, what if you take a guy out for breakfast and you just have your Bible and he has his Bible? And you open the Bible and you read a passage. Five questions to ask when studying a passage with another person. 
These are all the things you need, and then you can take it from there. What seems to be the main idea? What do I learn about God from this passage? Remember, the Bible's not about you. First, it's about God. Primarily, it's about God and how you relate to him. What do I learn about God? What do I learn about my brokenness and sin, or the brokenness and sin in the world? What do I learn about God's salvation? Remembering, especially if you're in the Old Testament, remembering that it's all ultimately about Jesus Christ. So that salvation is going, is pointing toward Jesus, if it's in the Old Testament, or looking at Jesus in the New Testament. And what, how might God have me respond? Not super complicated questions. Can you sit down with another person? Just ask those, read a passage of scripture and ask those questions. Yeah, you can. All right, well, now we've talked about Bible study. Let's talk for just a minute about Scripture memorization. Memorization. Challenge your friend. Be involved in engaging your mind and your heart in the memorization of Scripture. Have your friend challenge you. You challenge your friend. Your friend challenge me to memorize, to begin working at memorizing God's Word at some reasonable pace. Because we're trying to encourage our friends to grow in their knowledge and obedience to God. And his word and his Holy Spirit guide us in holiness. Which means the more scripture we have on our minds, the more we're going to be helped. The classic, beautiful example of this is when Jesus was being tempted on the mountain by the devil. He did not have his Torah scrolls with him. He did have the Torah in his heart. And so when Satan comes along, tries to, tries to get him to disobey the Father's plan, he has at his, disposable, at his disposal texts of Scripture with which to fight. So, you know, we have lots of, you know, you have probably have lots of pop songs in your heads. You might have lots of movie quotes. They're not really going to help you in your sanctification process much, but Scripture in your heart will. And Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden my wor- your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we ought to challenge one another to be at a reasonable pace memorizing God's word. Uh, reasons for memorization. Because it helps guard against sin. Because it shapes our thinking. Because as we have the scriptures more in our mind, it keeps our minds clear on what's important. Uh, because it's an aid to meditation. It's an aid to when we want to meditate because we have it at our disposal. What to memorize? Uh, there's lots of different things, right? You can, you can just choose, but again, the important thing is to do it. But if you wanted some helps, I have a redemption verse pack that's really excellent that came out of the, that Christ Memorial developed. It's wonderful. I did it when I was a high schooler. I have from seminary a 40 verse evangelism pack that uh, is verses to help you share the gospel with people. If you want to, email me. Tell me, I want want a copy of that evangelism verse pack. Or I want a copy of the redemption verse pack. Guess what? Awana parents, memorize with your Awana kids. Or if you're not a parent, but you either help an Awana, or you want to just buddy-buddy with a young friend and say, hey, listen, I want to do your verses with you. You know? So just use, use the things that are readily available. Um, helps to memorization. There are, you know, I mean, there's just how you memorize anything. It's helpful to write it out. There are, Justin, what's the, what's the Bible memory app that your family uses? 
Just call Bible memory. Call Bible memory. I think you type in the first letter of each successive word. Ah, you mean you can? You mean in the Munger House there can be a competitive nature to Bible memorization? I'm shocked. I'm shocked and surprised. Right? Uh, anybody else have uh, tools that you found helpful in seeking to memorize Scripture? Weird thing. Note cards, like so really weird. You can write it on a note card. You can write it on a note card. Yeah. I mean, how many of you were at my dad's funeral and saw, you know, at the beginning, all he boxes and boxes and boxes in his handwriting of, of scripture that he had memorized over the course of the years. Can't even read it because it's handwriting is so bad. Yeah. It helps me to do it moving. So with oh. like a rhythm, walking mm-hmm. or on the treadmill or on the bike or something, it just somehow. Yeah, the scripture memory songs um, can help. I, when I'm when I'm with the Awana kids, I, you know, um, sancti- with a little little four year old, right? I'm doing John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, and then they're doing it back to me. Sanctify them. Okay, let's do it again. Sanctify them in the truth. You know, so movement actually can be quite helpful. Yeah, Chris. Actually, think just fighting the lie that I'm not good at memorizing ah! because yeah, we all have different strengths, but it's a muscle that you can. It can, yeah, or you know the, the the lie, or 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 accepting the truth that it is, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. You know, not all of us have the same amount of memory. That's okay. Meditation in the last little bit. Meditation. Meditation is the opposite of Eastern meditation, by the way. Eastern meditation is seeking to empty your mind of thoughts. Empty your mind of, of will, empty your mind of... That's totally not what the scripture calls us to. We don't empty our mind. That's dangerous. All sorts of things can fill our minds when, when, uh, when we choose to empty our minds. Christian meditation, biblical meditation, is filling our minds, flooding our minds with the word of God. So that it, and, and thinking on it, and dwelling on it, and getting that... Uh, Getting that truly engaging with it, at a, like, and and so here, here we go. Just at the, just at, as we close, here's the end. Meditating on the word. What might it look like to be meditating? You take something, maybe it's something in your reading. You select some appropriate passage. Probably not your whole chapter. Probably like something that was significant in a verse or two. You repeat it. You read it a couple times. I mean, this is not the way you have to do it. Right? The goal is to actually be meditating and thinking about it through the day. But here's one suggestion from Don Whitney. Repeat it, reread it several times. Read the context surrounding that little passage. Maybe you rewrite it, you journal it down, you rewrite it in your own words. That will force you to think more carefully about what the text said. You pray through it. You look for and you pray for applications. And some of us do need to read less and meditate more. Right? For some of you, if you're a real doer, right, you can get through that Bible reading plan in a year. But are you taking time to sit and stew, to sit and think, so that God's thoughts are the thoughts you're thinking? You want to think, what is it? BJ, think God's thoughts after him. Where does that come from? Theology, Stephen Wellum. Stephen Wellum, think God's thoughts after him. Well, how do we get God's thoughts? His word. How do we think God's thoughts after him? We meditate on his word. Yeah. I just want to make one plug as it relates to studying your Bible. 
uh, make use of resources that we make available to you. For instance, on our resource page, so like many of you are getting on to Goodreads, I would encourage you, make use of your reading of books to help you serve, to help serve your understanding and love for the best book, the Bible. So on our resources page, we have significant called resources there for you, suggested books to read. And for instance, you will be unbelievably helped in your reading of Scripture if you were to just buy, say, The King and His Beauty by Tom Schreiner. You're about to read Matthew. Read his chapter on Matthew. Don't read the whole thing. Just read his chapter on Matthew. Read his chapter on Matthew, and then you're going to see intercanonical connections, and you're going to see the whole book come together, and then you're going to read the book yourself, and all these connections are going to be popping. So if you're getting into reading this year, I know that's happening. It's a plug for our resource page to use your time reading to help you love the best book anymore. That's great. All right, we should close her down. Uh, But my point being, you have one curriculum, and it's God's Word. That's what you need to be invested in yourself, and it's what you need to help your friends invest in as well. And you can do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings life. We thank you that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And we thank you that you put that together in the scriptures, and we have access to it. And through it, we have access to Jesus, who is the word of God, and who can save our souls from death. We thank you for these helps. We pray that we would be a congregation that would not uh, seek to do this in isolation, but we would be trying to help one another move forward in engagement with your word. In Jesus' name, amen.